right, day 208. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so man, we're in Ezekiel, right? And so we started Ezekiel yesterday, and basically Ezekiel is this prophet priest who's been exiled to Babylon with the people of God, and he's prophesying from Babylon. Remember, the people of God went to Babylon in waves, and Ezekiel was one of the first waves, right? God's judgment comes in stages and in waves. And so um, he's prophesying about their sin, right? But at the end of the book, or towards the middle and towards the end, he's going to uh, start to talk about hope. But right now, he's still on his judgment kick, right, from the word of the Lord. So now, Ezekiel 5, Prophetic Sinai. We've been talking a lot about prophetic Sinai. Basically, the prophets are going to have these uh, do these strange acts, but it just uh, serves as an illustration of their message. Right. And so here. Right. He's going to shave his head. Ezekiel. Take a third of the hair and burn it. Take another third of the hair and chop it up and then take another third of the hair and spread it to the wind. And that is going to symbolize what is going to happen to God's people. Some are going to be uh, destroyed and perish right there in Jerusalem. And then some will be taken away, right? And so Ezekiel will say this as well. This is what the Lord God says. I have set this Jerusalem in the center of the nations with countries all around her. She has rebelled against my ordinances with more wickedness than the nations and against my statues more than the countries that surround her. For her people have rejected my ordinances and have not walked in my statues. In other words, the people that don't know me have better behavior than the people that claim to know me. Right. In other words, you apply you apply this to the backside of the cross to where we are now in history. And it's often been seen, bro, that sometimes it's not that the church and God's people act like the world. It has been painfully and embarrassingly true that oftentimes God's people have acted worse than the world. And God is upset right he's saying yo like i gave you my law i saved you guys and you guys are acting as if you've never even heard of me and so we can see the reason for god's disappointment in his people and he says because of all your detestable acts i will do to you what i've never done before and what i will never do again As a result, fathers will eat their sons within Jerusalem and sons will eat their fathers. I will execute judgments against you and scatter all your survivors to every direction of the wind. Over and over again, the prophets uh, are going to do uh, be what I call covenant enforcers. So remember, uh, Moses, before he dies, gives he renews the covenant that was given at Mount Sinai after they left Egypt. He renews it and gives the people the covenant. He says, yo, if you break it, consequences, if you keep it, blessings. And so what the prophets are going to do, all they're going to do is take right the covenant that Moses gave and apply it to their redemptive historical situation. So this language of eating your fathers and the fathers eating the sons, this is right out of Deuteronomy 28, right? 
they're applying the blessings and curses and curses of Deuteronomy to their situation. And one of the curses that God said in Deuteronomy 28 was that it will be so bad in your land. The famine will be so bad. There will not be enough food that you will resort to cannibalism, right? That you will act subhuman, right? And that is an indication that you've broken my covenant and that you have went so far astray that the curses have been poured out on you. So we see that here in this text and it's not it. God is not advocating for this and it may seem weird, but that's what he's doing. He's drawing on earlier texts. The people of God are under God's curse. So Ezekiel six comes and basically he's like, yo, Ezekiel, I want you to turn to these mountains and prophesy against them that they will be destroyed again. God's displeasure with his people, right? These mountains and high places. Remember, uh, you know, the mountains and the high places was where Israel went to sacrifice to other gods. But we have to remember Exodus 19, God revealed himself on Mount Sinai. So what he said, in other words, it's almost a play on words. He's like, yo, I revealed myself to you guys at Mount Sinai, but you guys have went to these mountains, these other mountains and these high places and sacrificed to other gods, right? To false deities, right? And by God's grace, man, he leaves, yeah, in the midst of this serious indictment of his people, he leaves a message of hope. Yet I will leave a remnant, verses verse 8 of, of chapter 6. Yet I will leave a remnant when you are scattered among the nations, for throughout the countries there will be some of you who will escape the sword. Then your survivors will remember me among the nations where they are taken captive. How I was crushed by their promiscuous hearts that turned away from me and by their eyes that lusted after their idols. Once again, God does not uh, promise his judgment without leaving glimmers of hope. God promises once again to leave a remnant in all the lands that he's going to scatter his people, people who will outlive the judgment that God is placing on Israel. And at the end of the chapter, he says, then they will know that I am the Lord. All throughout the book, uh, one of the things that Ezekiel is going to say over and over and over on behalf of God is that God is going to make his character and reveal himself by displaying his wrath, right? Primarily, God is holy. God is just. And one of the things we see is that that is displayed in him keeping his word, in him providing punishment for sin. And yeah, just an application. When we think about the cross, one of the things the cross shows us, yes, our sinfulness, but also God's holiness and his righteousness that he couldn't leave sin unpunished but so merciful that he didn't put it on us ezekiel 7 doom has come on you inhabitants of the land the time has come the day is near there will be panic on the mountains and not celebration over over uh 200 times in the prophetic literature the day or the day of the lord is going to talk about god's judgment right most of the time prophets use it to, use it to talk about the exile but sometimes it is meant to speak of um, this end time judgment, right, that the wicked will experience as well. And so Ezekiel is just playing on that theme here. And then he says, yo, they will throw their silver into the streets and their gold will seem like something filthy. Their silver and gold will be unable to save them in the day of the Lord's wrath. There it is again. They will not satisfy their appetites or fill their stomachs, for these were the stumbling blocks that brought brought about their iniquity one of the things um he he indicts the people here in seven for a ton of things very poetic pretty long chapter um but one of the things i just wanted to pull out was the fact that man 
he says, yo, their silver and gold, right, was was something that they had put their trust in and their hope in, their their money, their economics. And one of the things I just thought about is how much of our sin can be traced back to the misuse, abuse, and worship of finances, right? How much of our sin can be traced back to the misuse of finances, the abuse of finances, and the worship of finances, right? And money. How many of us, yeah, how many of us have sinned out of fear of losing money, right? It's amazing that God is addressing these things in this text and that, yeah, uh, what was in their pockets uh, uh, was indicative of, or how they use what was in their pockets was indicative of the posture of their hearts. And so God is like, yo, man, y'all, y'all committed and done, did all these things because of some bread, bro. And yeah, God, once again, is getting at it. Then Ezekiel 8 is kind of the climax of this section. He says, "Um, you know, son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his idol? For they are saying, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has abandoned the land. Again, he said to me, you will see even more detestable acts that they are committing. So basically in Ezekiel 8, God gives Ezekiel this vision. And man, it is one of the low points of scripture. Um, he gives him this vision of what's still going on in Jerusalem. Now, remember, Ezekiel's in Babylon. The last wave of exiles have not come to Babylon yet. So there's people still in Jerusalem. And he takes him there to see the temple and what's going on. And basically, oh man, like basically the people of God have built idols Right. They built idols inside of the temple and the temple was where God was supposed to dwell with his people so they could worship him. And they had built shrines and idols inside of the same place they were to worship. God. Terrible that, that it's, it's almost inconceivable for us. And then he says, yo, I'm going to take you outside and show you something worse. He goes outside and he has these people, the people of God, worshiping the sun right outside of the temple. So they're they're literally worshiping idols inside of the temple and outside of the temple. So God is like, yo, man, I, I can't I can't be here. Right. So he's going to talk about, yo, this is why I'm abandoning my place. Right. And he talks about, you know, the people of God doing this in darkness. And he's going to say, yo. They're doing this in darkness. And one of the things we see is that the reason that people continue in sin is because they believe they will never get caught. Right. They believe they'll never get caught. They believe that they're doing it in the dark and that it's a secret. But God knows all, sees all. He is all knowing and he sees the sin of his people and he is deeply grieved. And so in 586 BC, he's going to destroy the temple. He's going to destroy it. And this is an act of God's judgment. Idolatry is the main reason why God's people are experiencing his wrath. The good news for us, though, as believers, as people who have more light, who've seen more of God's revelation, who've seen the cross, is that God did destroy his temple. And it was Jesus. Jesus is the temple and he was destroyed on our behalf 
because of our wickedness and darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of light let's pray father we thank you uh, for your grace and your mercy that um, you uh, condemned your son uh, for all the darkness and sin we've committed so i pray god that that would lead us to worship that would lead us to uh, holiness and justice and righteousness before you help us to take these words we've learned today and apply them to our hearts it's in christ's name